This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. Make sure to give us five stars, like, and share this episode. See, you're much quicker than your husband. He apologizes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to do this to you. Guys, too, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. We just gotta... need you guys to like and share and hit the five stars. I just want to be all friends. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Comments. Kumbaya. Yeah. Okay. Five stars. All so right. we're um, good job. We're, we're continuing in our systematic theology. Yep. Our or ST, as you call it, the ST. And as you interpret it, I think of a very dirty <laughs> word, and so every time I look at these notes, I'm filling it in with a word, and <laughs> and then makes it very hard to look at the script. Well. Well, now that we filled our listeners with that. <laughs> <laughs> I figure if the, they need to know that up front so that there's a pause as I get my head around the correct pronunciation. Um, and, and you can curse my name a couple of times in your own mind. And, yeah. Anyhow. So we are, we're continuing systematic theology. Now, as we've been saying, we're not giving a full systematic theology here. Um, this is more or less bite-sized as we are calling it. Uh, remember, if you listen to the episode on kinds of theology, uh, systematic theology is typically broken into three sections. Uh, so sometimes people do it in four, but classic breakdown for us is three. And so we're still working through systematic theology one. Um, now we've covered bibliology or doctrine of scripture, um, which is where all good systematic theology begins. Um, the, the next section would be a theology proper, just that classic study of the person of God, his nature, his attributes. But we've essentially done that in previous episodes. Uh, we did a full deal on the Trinity, covering all three persons of the Trinity. And so we're just going to jump right into the next section in Systematic Theology 1, which is angelology, demonology, and Satanology. Which most Systematic Theologies don't cover all three of those. A lot of times they'll do maybe Satanology. Mm -hmm. um, just lump it all in. Yeah, yeah. but not really a, a full treatment. Hopefully... This will be helpful to a lot of people who've never heard anything yeah. on, on this topic. Well, in the Bible talks, there's so much more in the Bible yeah. about this stuff than people realize. And yeah. so we're just starting with angelology. And just to give you a forewarning, this is probably episode one of like two million. or three. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of here. Let's so. just put it this way. If you thought Trinity was long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a fascinating topic, I mm -hmm. think. Not a lot of people study it. So so let's just begin. Let's jump in. What are some, um, let's talk about the biblical occurrences. Yeah. Well, you already said it. They occurs a lot more than people know. We're just talking about angels. They're mentioned about 200 times in 17 books of the Old Testament and about 200 times in 17 books of the New Testament. So some guy is already coming up with some really deep spiritual Oh, I know. That, you add 200 217, 200. 200. Yeah, <laughs> yeah our like it would come to 17. And we all know that's Trump, so right, I mean, then it just yeah. descends into chaos. Right. Um, but actually, you, you, you find Jesus making very explicit references to angels. So like uh, Matthew 26, 53, you got that, Lena? Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Um, or Luke 16, 22. It came about that the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. It's pronounced bosom. <laughs> That's not right, because then people then start second-guessing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Um, so, so what you have here um, is Jesus using them in his own teaching. Uh, uh, he, it's being used in a parable, but it's also clear indication that Jesus had a strong understanding uh, of the reality of angels. He's not trying to explain them away, or he's not embarrassed. It's it's just part of his understanding of reality. And as God and the Creator of all things, that's noteworthy. That. Indeed, we should we should take these things very serious. So he spoke of them and referenced them as if they were real creatures. Yeah, um, and so we should treat that. So so in his own life, you know, I will have twelve legions of angels. But then he's also using them in parables, right? In his own teaching, right? So many, many will try to explain it away, though. Typically, liberal theologians, right? But the conservative guys also do it because they just don't talk about them, right? Um, I mean, I, I don't think that they mean to, but it's just, it's not part of our vocabulary. Um, but the, yeah, we're not, we're not comfortable. Why with do you them. think that is? I don't, I don't know. See, I think it's cause we're, I think because, well, you go into Africa, um, and the whole realm of the angelic and demonic realm is much more pronounced in their theology because they see that kind of stuff going on. And we, we relegate that all into psychological issues. Right. And we're so self-focused. Yeah. In our yeah. And so I, I, that's my personal thought. But yeah. when you boil it all down though, here, here are the options. When you're thinking about Jesus and his referencing of the angels, there's only a few options. Uh, the first would be that Jesus was deceived. And he didn't know what he was talking about, and we're not going to accept that one. Right. The other one is that Jesus is deceiving through accommodating their wrong beliefs. We don't accept that. Right. Uh, Jesus was misrepresented by the gospel writers. We're not going to accept that. <laughs> right. Or Jesus was fully true, and his words were accurately recorded. Right. And we, that's the one we go with. Which is why it's important, again, to start with a good bibliology. And we're going to probably say that a lot. <laughs> In right. this whole systematic theology, if you don't have a sound bibliology, then right. you're all over the map. But it it, it makes your decision-making on some of these things so simple, because it's like, if the Bible is true, and it claims to be true, and we accept that, then we're not, we don't have to wonder whether or not the angels really exist. Right. All right, so some key terms. Yeah, so uh, there's, there's key explicit terminology. Um, when speak when the Bible talks about angels, and so in the Old Testament, the key term is malak, is how you pronounce it, um, M A L A K. If you're going to transliterate, um, so the, the root of the word malak is it's generally related to a messenger or to send a messenger if it's used in its verbal form. Uh, the most common meaning in the Old Testament is just simply messenger, um, translated as angel. If right. you want to do an interpretation, um, but the term is often applied to men. Um, so could, context it, becomes important. Exactly. So sometimes it's translated as messenger, sometimes angel. Well, they're understanding the context there is it's speaking of some kind of spiritual being. But nevertheless, it's a common term that just means messenger in the Hebrew. And so it's applied to men. So in Genesis 32, 3, for instance, uh, Lainey, you want to read? 
Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Yeah, so Jacob is sending men. It's kind of cheap to give her a passage she's not ready for and it has some strange pronunciation. Did I pronounce that right? Works for me. I don't think yeah. anyone's going to argue with you. No. Nope. How about you do the next one, though? And Gideon sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Do you yeah. say Naphtali? Huh? Do you say Naphtali? Sure. I say Naphtali. That's so wrong. Like, what Naphtali. Yeah. That's from Cosenza either. <laughs> <laughs> I say Naphtali. Okay. Oh, All right. Well, <laughs> two of us are right. And... <laughs> so that's uh, Judges 635. But also in Job 1 and 14, uh, you have, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And so it's just, it's a man come to Job telling him what happened. And there's dozens more that we could look at. Um, but the term is not only applied to men, it's often applied to powerful spirit beings. That was my tra uh, transition oh, to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's often translated then in the English with the words angel yeah. because the translators are choosing to interpret the term as angels. And they're right in doing so, but it's still the same Hebrew word malach or in this or this idea of being a messenger. So Genesis 19.1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. All right. So here, uh, with as you read through the context, you realize these are not just mere men. Mm -hmm. um, they can do some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, but they're, they're messengers sent from God. They're angels. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I'll just read this one in Job 14, 8. Um, Eliph is it Eliphaz? Is yeah. that how you'd say it? Eliphaz. Eliphaz. That's yeah. how I'd say it. Uh, speaking to Job regarding the nature of God. Um, he puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. Um, so again, just another passage that is likely not speaking of men, but of those angelic messengers. So all you have is a simple idea of a messenger. These malak of God are also sent to carry out and to accomplish certain tasks on behalf of God. Yeah. Um, and then the term malak, it's also used to speak of the angel of the Lord. Which is a great study. Yeah, it is. Um, so in Genesis 22, 11, uh, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. So here you have it in the context of this is someone or being being sent by God himself. This is a unique. Yeah, it's explicitly saying yeah. that he, it's from heaven. Right. Um, and then in Exodus 3, 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Yeah. So, again, here's some kind of being in the middle of a bush. Now, we're going to argue theologically that's the person of Christ. Right. Um, whenever you have angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, um, it's speaking of the second person of the Trinity. Um, but here you have this term. It's got a wide range of meaning. It, sometimes it's in reference to men. Other times it's in reference to spirit beings. Other times it's in reference to the second person of the Trinity. Yeah. So, so context is very, very important. Absolutely. Now, when you go into the New Testament, its um, corollary is angelos. Mm -hmm. uh, the basic meaning is that of an envoy or, again, messenger or angel. Um, this is almost the New Testament equivalent of, like I said, malach. Yeah. So, and in fact, when the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the old, they translate malach with angelos. Right. 
So again, there's different ways that it can be used. It can be applied to men, uh, like in Matthew eleven ten. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Yeah, uh, picking up on the prophesied messenger in uh, Malachi 3, which was a prophecy concerning our friend John the Baptist. Uh, so here, it's the messenger is not an angel, but in fact, it's a man, uh, the prophesied John the Baptist eventually. But you also have it um, interpreted or applied to powerful spiritual beings. Yeah, so uh, in Matthew one twenty, but uh, it says, But when he, Joseph, in the context, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so here you have some kind of spirit being appearing to Joseph and speaking to him a message from God. Now, here it's the angel of the Lord, too. Mm-hmm like in the Old Testament, but it's not the same angel of the Lord. Correct. Yeah, uh, it's not. Because the angel of the Lord is a Christophany, the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. But here, the the person of Christ is in the womb right. of Mary, and so this is just Ooh. an angel. So yeah. it gets, yeah. Right. <laughs> and he also, they say their name too, right? Yeah, they yeah. Reveal themselves. And yeah. so in Luke uh, one eleven, here we have uh, the angel Gabriel appearing to Zacharias in the temple. You want to read that one? And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. All right. So now the angel of the Lord is being explicitly called Gabriel. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And then in Galatians 1.18, but even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so again, there's some kind of category in the mind of Paul that there are spirit beings, an angel from heaven. So those are the explicit terms used to speak um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You have Malak and then the old Angelos and the new. Um but there's also quite a few implicit ways the Bible will refer to angels. I think this is where it gets kind of interesting because yeah. one of them that's hotly debated, though it shouldn't be, is um, in the Old Testament, the term sons of God. That's always a fun one. Well, yeah. and when I preached in Genesis 6, I, I got a few people shaking their heads. Did as you? I went, well, I always do. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in Genesis 6, 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And so this is a much debated passage. Um, Many think that the sons of God is a reference to something else. But if you actually trace that phrase, sons of God, uh, throughout the Old Testament, it always, in every other instance, it always refers to spirit beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no way around that. And so, for you to come to this one and say, well, it can't mean a spirit being, an angelic being, fallen angels. Um, you got to have a pretty good argument. Yeah, you have to have something the from exception. the text. Right. And, and there isn't. Yeah, never yeah. in any other passage is it. So, uh, an example of that in Job 1.6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Well, that's not mighty men. Right. That's not powerful yeah. rulers. That, that These are angelic beings who have to literally come before and make a presentation before God. And Satan, who was the chief angel, um, was among them. So, Nor is it the line of Seth. 
No. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's all these different views, yeah. and if they ever really want to listen to it, I could they, I could refer them. They can send me a text uh, or message or whatever we call those things um, on, on the various views. But people think that's crazy sounding, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, not if you have a robust theology of, of the spiritual realm and you grasp that there's a lot more going on uh, than we realize. Um, I think Francis Schaeffer said, described it that... Um, we only see half the orange. Picture right. reality as an orange, and we only see half the orange. Um, and we keep forgetting there's an entire other half of an yeah. orange. And so that's what, when I preached through Ephesians, I did a whole series on that early on about real reality. Because we keep thinking that what we see, feel, and hear is all that's real. And it's not even Just an close. aspect of the creation, right? Yeah. There's this whole spiritual reality. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully we can draw that out as we go through there. So another implicit term used is uh, morning stars. Um, for instance, Job 38 and verse 7. Uh, God is speaking to Job out of a whirlwind and referencing back to the time in which he made creation. And he says these words, uh, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there's back at creation. Yeah, and that's that parallelism. Mm-hmm. So the sons of God are the morning stars, and morning stars are the sons of God. Right. Where do you know that the mor- uh, sons of God are always speaking of these angelic or spirit beings? So so are the morning stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have holy ones in Psalm eighty nine seven. It says a God a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. Um, so here it's describing of that. I think it's Michael Heiser yeah. that describes Unseen that realm. divine council mm-hmm. of angelic beings that are almost like little gods, right? Which gets a little weird. Don't freak out on us. Just yeah, understand that the Bible describes this council of these holy ones, these these spirit beings, um, in the presence of God. Yeah, and he he did a nice job in his book Unseen Realm. Yeah, like, disagree with his stuff on when he gets to Genesis. Yeah, there's stuff, but he's not perfect. But Psalm 89, he dealt with, I thought, well. Yeah, if you want to read a fascinating book that will at least knock you out of your comfort uh, realm, read Michael Heiser, uh, The Unseen Realm. He's got a smaller, more popular version. Yeah. Um, but but it's worth getting the bigger book and slowly working your way through it. Mm-hmm. Then you have the term hosts or host, um, which always speaks of an angelic army. Um, and this gets into the idea that, you know, angels are also imperial beings, uh, military figures. First uh, Kings twenty two nineteen, 19. Uh, and Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And so these hosts are just a mighty multitude of spirit beings. Which, you know, it's, that's a great passage to quote because when you hear the Lord of hosts. Right. You know, He's the it's commander. Like, yeah, right. but but nobody thinks no, that. I, yeah. I don't know what they think of, but you know, it's just a it's just a title. But it's like no, no, no. Meaning, what Christ said. You know, I could call these legions of angels down. Um, it's like you guys have no idea what's on the other side of reality. <laughs> That's why, like, when I did the the thing in Luke, when he they appear to the shepherds in the field. Oh yeah, and. Like, I just have this very vivid, and words fail me to describe it, but vivid scene in my mind where the heavens just split open and there's this blade. I mean, these poor 
guys in the middle of a dark field. Mind in their own business. There's no lights out there. I mean, it's like 2,000 years ago, and this the heavens rip open, and you have this this host of angelic beings. And my funny thing is, I always just wonder what the sheep did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, I never thought about that. This fellow. That's, that's a good question, actually, yeah. though. Um, it, it must have been terrifying, though. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you go back even to Elijah and... Is it Elijah or Elisha? I always get the... I do, too. One of those two, and the servant is freaking out. I think it's Elisha, too. Um, And God opens up the servant's eyes, and he realizes, oh, we're not remotely in trouble, are we? (laughs) No, we're good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're fine. Mountains are scattered with these things, yeah. So, anyhow, uh, you also have this term called the watchers, which is another one that uh, Heiser picks up on and does some really fascinating things with. But in Daniel 4.13, you want to do that one? Daniel. (laughs) I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Uh, Or Daniel uh, 4.17. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. So you have these angelic watchers, um, and they're sent by God. And and here they they make reference to God as being the Most High, the one true God, the Yahweh, uh, that he is Yahweh. So um, that's a real fascinating one that's, again, worth developing and looking at later. Then you have... So that's implicit language in the Old Testament. Then there's also implicit language in the New Testament. Um, so the first one would just be spirits. Um, so Mark chapter 1 and verse 23, for instance, you want to read that? Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Yeah, so apparently there's some kind of being. It's an unclean one, so probably a fallen angel or a demon or something. But nevertheless, it's it's not human, and it's not uh, physical. Right. And... Which is why we're saying this is implicit. It doesn't tell us it's a right. demon or an angel. It's some kind of a spirit that's defined as unclean who's separate from the man himself. Right. And then in Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? And that's similar to Jesus in Matthew when he finishes his temptations and it says that, Mm-hmm. Angels were sent to minister to him. Right. And little free tidbit. Every time the word spirit is used in the plural, it always is referring to angelic beings, fallen or not, but it always refers to it. That gets into a debated passage in Second Peter. That's why I bring that up. Mm. What's another one? What? Oh, no, I just... Oh, I'm like, uh... Another I, I was going off the cuff there. I don't know another one. It's only Second Peter. <laughs> Never mind. I see what you're asking there. Actually, it's... Uh, this one you should do. It's Luke, and that's your... Well, I, oh, sure. Well, um, Acts 2, and that okay. can be... Well, yeah, well, that's very be, I'll read that one then. All right. Um, so, another implicit term in the New Testament when it's talking about angels is just the word men. Um, Just to make this all the more confusing. So so in Luke 24, 4 and 5, while they were perplexed, which is another term of Luke, about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? This kind of gets into our comment from some previous episode that whenever angels show up, 
two humans, they show up as men. And only men. Right. So they had very clearly the appearance of of a man here, which is why Luke records it the way that he does. But uh, then... And well, then it, Acts one ten, he does it again. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them and basically choose them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, again, they really lack grace. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know. Well, they speak truth. Um, so that's the language that you see in the Bible regarding these things. Um, but then let's then talk about the creation of angels. Which, which is pretty simple. Um, the fact is that God created the angels. Um, and so that's not hard. He's the creator of all things. And so they are just simply created beings. They're spiritual beings. But nonetheless, they have been created by God. They don't share in God's eternal attributes. So they're not omniscient. Um, they're not omnipresent. Uh, rather, they're just spiritual beings, very, very powerful, but n nevertheless, they're created, and therefore, we need to understand them to be uh, finite. So, Colossians 1.16. I'm sorry, I was looking ahead to see oh, if you guys were well, going to talk about it. something that I was just going to ask. Well, no, I got I'll, it. Oh, you got <laughs> well, What are you going to ask? What were you going to ask? When they were created, but oh, you guys yeah. are going to cover that. Well, in the first six days. All right, well, we can really just... not before that. Like, yeah, see, this is why we're doing it. This is why I we're never doing knew. It. I was just like, oh, they <laughs> existed because don't they watch? No, no, no. Okay, uh, okay, Colossians 1 16. <laughs> I just interrupted that really bad. <laughs> um, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So that phrase, uh, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities is not really talking about the physical realm, but that spiritual realm. Uh, those are some more terms, actually, that the New Testament yeah. uses to re reference the the spiritual forces that are behind the physical forces that we see. And um, that's also clearly seen if you go into the book of Revelation, but yeah. again. And then also visible and invisible. Well, says, yeah. Which is implied, yeah. Um but since, so since, and then the next point is since they've been created, then therefore their responsibility is to worship their creator, just like the rest of creation is required to do. So they're not on par with God. They're not, you know, they're, they're still required to do that, which all of creation is to do, which is again, to praise their maker. So Psalm 148 verses two through five. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the water, waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Yeah, so here the psalmist is commanding the angels to praise. Why? Verse 5, he created them. Right. Uh, so then you have the theological implication of this, is that uh, angels are not to be worshipped, um, which was a very real problem in the days of Colossae. So another passage to be read, uh, Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. This is an important... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny that visions come to, quote, visions come to people when it says they stop holding fast to the head, yep. which is Christ. I yeah. mean, we could do a whole yeah. Bill Johnson right. 
problem. It was Luke 4, too. I mean, it's just... Yes. But yeah, so they got the worship of angels, but he's taking a stand, not on the Word of God, but his visions. And then in Revelation... Now, at the same time, you can appreciate how a person could inadvertently want to worship an angel because they always show up as very powerful beings. And that's what happens in Revelation 19.10 where it says, then I, and that's the apostle John, fell at his feet and it's an angel's feet Mm -hmm. to worship him. Uh, But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, he sees him, he's struck by his his glory, he falls down to worship him, and he gets immediately rebuked by him and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm another creature. Yeah. You worship God. And we don't, that, I mean, that, that phrase there of, I'm also your brethren, mm. I don't know what that means, but I want to, <laughs> I want to know what that means. There's implications to that, I think, in eternity to come. But um, then the timing of their creation, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so pretty a pretty exhaustive <laughs> statement. Uh, you have it similar in Nehemiah 9.6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host. Okay. The earth and all that is in it, <laughs> the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Yeah. So so some, some theological conclusions regarding angels as created beings. One, the angels were created at the same time as the rest of creation. We have no reason or biblical evidence to think otherwise. I mean, they're just, unless you're going to do some gymnastics. Right. Um, So yeah, they they were created at the same time as all other creations. Uh, Second, they were, uh, the angels were created holy. In Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Um, so angels certainly are part of this creation. Mm-hmm. So the implication is that creation is done by Genesis 131. Mm-hmm. And so anything created at this point was very good, which we could imply also meaning holy. There's yet no sin. Right. Um, and then the, the angels. So the Or as you typed it, the angles. Is that what I said? <laughs> There's lots of angles in here. <laughs> the Anglice, yeah. Um, so, the yeah, the angels are included in all that. Leave me, leave me alone. <laughs> At some point between 131 and 3, or before 3, 131 and 2-something is when Satan rebels and falls and all the angels. Yeah, there's, well. there's sure. a rebellion. Now, some people will argue it's described in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a different view on that. Yeah. Well, and... And very, I mean, potentially his, his fall could have been his temptation with Eve. Huh. I mean, we don't have we don't, yeah, we reason don't know. to think otherwise. We don't have a reason to conclude firmly on that either. No. But, well, and that, I think that's probably the better place to be is to be content that it happened. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not for us to know. It doesn't change anything. Um and right. and and what's remember that when we're saying that he was created holy, that we also have talked talked about the whole issue of the problem of evil. That evil exists, and it also is part of creation, and that yeah. too is something that God created for His purposes. And so all of that is present here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would just point people back to that podcast on the problem of evil if we just freaked you out. So. Okay.
Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, along with this, then there's some other things. Uh, the angels are entirely accountable to God uh, because in Matthew twenty five forty one, uh, Christ will say, "He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels." So. Uh, you know, Christ is going to judge both sinners as well as of, uh, of Satan and his uh, angels. So uh, the angels will be judges. Um, what's interesting is Paul speaks of the fact that men will take part in this judging of the angels as well. He says that in 1 Corinthians 6.3. Yeah. Uh, also, the, the number of angels are innumerable and inconceivable. Um, so just some, some biblical data on this. You want to read Daniel 7.10? Mm -hmm. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and, a myri and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the book was open. Yeah. Uh, Daniel. Oh. <laughs> Every quote, you're just like, yeah. Well, I think, well, it also says that in Revelation 5.11, when I preach yeah. to a revelation, I point out that um, it's actually just a way that they would just say a countless number. Yeah. Right, I mean, right. just a massive number of angels, which gets into eschatology, that when they want to talk about a large, indistinct period of time or a number, yeah. they just have a way of saying they that. They go real vague. They don't have to say right. 1,000. Right? Yes. Yeah. But uh, 44,000. Betraying my eschatology, no? Well. Oh, man. Um, and then in Matthew 26, 53, uh, you have, or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? We don't know what 12 legions is. I mean, how many, how many is that? Um, but the point is that, is that we should be content with the idea that they're too innumerable to count. Uh, there, there was a debate <laughs> in medieval scholasticism of how many angels could fit on the, the head of a needle or the pin of a needle. Um, and it, it was, a, I understand it was a philosophical discussion um, coming out of like Thomas Aquinas and um, them, but there were also scholars who came up with an exact number for how many angels did exist. Yeah, because they actually figured out that there's a certain amount of space that they take. <laughs> right, or or could could angels occupy the same space because they're spirit beings? Yeah. So oh, it gets yeah. into this weird. So I mean, who cares? Yeah, but what is that number? <laughs> oh, oh, we haven't actually written down here. <laughs> yeah, for your view, listening pleasure. This Jewish scholar. Yeah, we put in quotes. 301,655,722 angels exist. Bam, right there. Now you know it. I mean, he, yep. Like and share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we just don't know. There's so many, there's, they're innumerable with the count. That's how the Bible references them, myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands. So interpret that how you want. We're going to say a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, next topic on them is, oh, then what's their position? What What is the position of these angels? So you want to take this one? Yes. The first it? one, it, well, I'm just wanting to see where we're heading. Uh, the angels in relationship to Christ. Um, on one level, he's their creator. Um, so, that's one relationship. But in that kenosis of his emptying himself and taking on uh, humanity, uh, in Hebrews 2 7, it also says that he was made a little lower than the angels, which is an incredible, yeah. again, mystery. Um, and it makes you understand a little bit better why the angels would 
watch because they're seeing yeah. stuff that it's like, Very okay, I didn't, see, him, I didn't right. see that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's our Lord. He sends us. We go do our stuff. And now all of a sudden he's lower than us. This is, and then, you know, they watch him get tempted. Yeah. And te- as you just finished that series on the temptation, I mean, tempted to the uttermost in a way we can't even grasp. And and then afterwards they come and minister to him. I, I just can picture. Yet he's holding them together. I know. Yeah. It, that's crazy yeah. in, a, in a very good way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also as a glorified man, he's already exalted far above all of creation. So, uh, Lena, you want to do Ephesians 121? Uh, speaking of Christ has been placed far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So you have him having been made a little lower than angels, but now in his uh, resurrection and ascension, he's now exalted exalted yeah. back above. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. In 1 Peter 3.22, you have a, that explicit one, Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So it's just showing how they're, now they're lower than him, right? Um, then you have angels in relation to man. So that was in relation to Christ. Uh, this is angels in relation to man. During this age, um, they are equal with man in that they are both servants of God. Uh, we saw that in that Revelation 19.10 passage, I'm your fellow servant or fellow brethren, um, when the angel tells John not to worship him and then tells him to worship God. Um, but having said that, they're higher than man in their present powers. And, you know, you see this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7 where, it says that Jesus is made a little lower than the angels. Uh, the point there is that he was made to be like man um, in, in Hebrews 2. Um, so he, he chose not, not to invoke his deity in any way, but live in every aspect and sense as a man. And so the implication then is that man is also lower than the angels in their current state or powers. Um, in 2 Peter 2.11, you have a passage and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble, tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Yeah, so just, just a passage show, showing that in some aspect, angels are mightier in power. Right, right. Uh, and then in the age to come, men will receive a status that's above the angels because they are in Christ and with Christ and made like Christ in that sense. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it says, do you not know that we will judge angels how much more than the matters of this life? So there's this point where then we will be given that um, oversight, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So just to wrap it up, fascinating stuff. We think so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I do. I think that there's a lot of data that we just cranked them through. Yeah, we did for sure. Um, having said that, we just scratched the surface of it. Um, this is very beginning. So we're going to talk about next time things like characteristics of angels. So their intelligence, their emotions, their will, the Bible speaks to all this, uh, their responsibilities, their powers, their wisdom and strength. Uh, we'll look at various appearances and visions of angels. You know, so what do they look like? Men. How, how are they described? Well, you got, Isaiah, you got Isaiah 6. Right? That's true. Um, That's true. The seraphim. You got the yeah. weird looking ones. Right. Um, we'll look at various classifications. So in both in their moral category, but also in this hierarchy, there's 
There's holy and elect angels, right? And there's fallen angels. Or as you wrote. Fallen angels. <laughs> fallen angels. Listen, it gave me a blue squiggly, not a red squiggly, so I didn't know it was a misspelling. So, um, so we'll look at various ministries of angels. angles, <laughs> and, and, of course, the all-important question, are there guardian angels? Um, so that's that's what to oh, come. No. Actually, and I, I hope that they'll find that one helpful. Yeah, yeah well, it's a common question. So. Yeah, I get it. Um, at least once a year. Yeah. Just as I, I do too. I do too. Yeah. Oh. So tune in, join the conversation, let us know what you think. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Tell your friends. <laughs>